0: I'm Nalaya Chakana, and you're listening to the Dare to Love podcast. The Dare to Love podcast is the place where we get naked and have a real conversation.
1: So we're winding down a day of romance and fun. Ceremony. Okay. She calls it ceremony, but (laughs) we took a little love potion. Nanny has the baby. So we got to really, for the first time since we had a child really spend the day together
0: yeah and be present and feel timeless and just move with really what's yeah what wants to be felt and touched and connected to
1: yeah and we listened to some good music and we spent some time listening to a Fleetwood Mac album which brought back nostalgia berries for me not that I was alive when it came out but I had the vinyl rumors and we were noticing how or I was noticing that on this album of maybe 10 songs, only four did I actually really want to listen to, but I remember having to suffer through these songs that are kind of put in between the good ones. And this is how people used to listen to music back in the day. Even with CDs, you had to listen to the whole album, and an album was crafted with ups and downs, and then almost suffering through the not-so-good songs is what made the good songs so exciting.
0: Yeah. And like, when we were talking about this and dancing and reminiscing and singing, you know, I guess I connected to the time where I was still buying albums. Um, I still have this folder on the attic of, of my parents. So the way I saw it is like, yeah, musicians were tapped into the storytelling element that is part of life, as well as the understanding that life comes in cycles. So this morning, I woke up with the with a thought or like a feeling, like just feeling how my love for Kaylani is increasing and how it's just going to continue to increase and grow and how our lives are going to be more entwined and, you know, adapted to each other up until a point where it's almost like, I don't know how big my heart can get. <laughs> but I will love her more than, I mean, I already love her more than life, but, you know, as she grows, I'll probably appreciate her more and, and respect her more. And then she'll fall into adolescence and she'll need to break free from that. She'll need to find her own way. She'll need to get lost and be confused. And um, that in itself is going to trigger processes in us as parents, as who we are as individuals. And our purposes are going to re- be redirected, no? Kind of similar to the way that we're stepping into parenthood right now. I feel like after a year, certain things have really clicked for me into place of so this New woman I am becoming or still discovering, I would say, because layers of my previous identity had to fall away. Anyway, long story short, I was just reflecting of like, wow, the incredibleness of life, like the, the cycles that we go through, you know, because Keilani is going to be the one to make us grandparents. And when we are in that position, we will reflect and probably integrate aspects of what we are going through now. And are able to support her in in that transition that she will be in when she matures. And so after breaking free from us in her adolescence, naturally she will navigate back to us. And there's this like beautiful weaving that requires a tremendous amount of trust, a tremendous amount of space and freedom. And also the understanding that life is a cycle, kind of like listening to a vinyl record where, yeah, we have to go through all of these uncomfortable layers To end up in a place where we look back on the storytelling of that album, of all these songs that together form the album, to make sense of it. And midway, some of it doesn't make sense. Midway, some of it we want to skip over, but we cannot. And nowadays I feel like, you know, just looking at the reflection of what's happening in the musical world or realm, or the ability to choose what we want to listen to and skip over what we don't want to, and, you know, the inability to be relaxed within this comfort... Um, is very. Yeah,
1: it makes yeah. me think of like uh, I saw the stat of arranged marriages do so much better than non-arranged marriages because mm. there's something like when they're, the marriage is arranged, they're like, okay, this is the person I'm with, and you figure you have to figure out how to love them and like and like get along. Like you don't have choice. Whereas with a um, a marriage by choice, you could always think, well, I could get divorced and get someone better if this is inconvenient. And it's like, yeah, with vinyl records or like pre-Spotify music even, it's like you couldn't really hit next easily, or I should say pre-digital music. So you kind of just like, okay, this is the song that's on, I'm going to enjoy it. And I think of like, um, I'm reading some ancient books like by Samurai, and you can see like they're writing in a way that only makes sense <laughs> if your reader is only coming across one book a, a year. <laughs> Right, that you could, you kind of go off, it's kind of like a long form podcast where like you have their attention, you know, their phone is in their pocket, their earbuds are in, so they're not going to hit next. You can kind of get away with telling right. tangents and stories and random things. Whereas with other kinds of media, you can't, if you're going to, if you could hit next on the song, every second needs to matter. Yeah. If you could hit next on the video, you can't have fillers.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting because now that we are a family, I'm connecting to these deeper layers of how everything is interconnected and things about myself that previously remained like a concept are starting to make sense. Like, um, yeah, today we were even talking no, about when we came together, there were aspects of my previous identity that somehow attracted you towards me. But once we were in a relationship, those were actually not the parts of me that per se, were the thing that, I guess, turned yeah, your, you on. your
1: masculine qualities.
0: Yeah, my masculine qualities. So like my my independent self, my entrepreneur self, the one who knows how to share, how to teach, how to guide, how to whatever, be self-sufficient, be successful, know who I am, what my path is, etc. But now that I've gone through this uncomfortable journey, I mean, it's been the most magical and the most impactful and the most challenging that already got set in motion while pregnant. But now that I'm here a year after Keilani's birth, it's like, wow, you know, these softer layers of my feminine that previously were concepts that I thought I understood, that I thought had the space for the expression that it deserved, really didn't. And a new layer of, of that confidence had to be birthed out of me through the discomfort of going almost like through the birthing pains, but then within my, my own psyche, so recently I did a, a parasite detox and um yeah, the way I see detoxes, it's like, okay, yeah, worms did definitely come out of my body. I saw them in the toilet <laughs> Gross. and I'm pretty sure that certain parasites left me and intuitively, I don't know how to explain it, but I really feel like, okay, there was something in my body since India. And you can say like, okay, I lived in India, dirty country. There's lots of parasites, whatever. But I don't believe that we pick up just anything randomly, you know, like any ailment is, is always a significance. And it has taken me until now to be able to release it from my body. Cause it's not the first time I've done detoxes. Um, I've worked a lot with very profound purgatives from the Amazon. And yet I could feel like, wow, something left my body. And when I related it to this difficult year like i had emotional expressions this year that felt like some deep layered i don't know what had to come out of me and the like almost like the frustration that was this boundary between me and my true femininity like i don't even like I yeah we were answered.
1: joking that uh, you finally pooped out your masculine my, side. My boy dragon. <laughs> boy, yeah, the boy dragon. That's what we've been calling it. That's what I called it the first time she had kind of a masculine. It felt like, uh, walls going up for some, something. So I, I named it boy dragon. He even, it, he
0: even bought me a boy dragon.
1: <laughs> I bought her a stuffed, the first, I think maybe the first gift I got you was, was a stuffed animal. Oh, yeah. It was a stuffed <laughs> animal of a dragon. And I thought it was very sweet, but of course you got very angry.
0: I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was irritated
1: yeah but that 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 That, that was
0: that archetype that anyway yeah so I feel like you know as a free independent woman who's been able to travel the world and find herself and lose herself and I don't know reconstruct herself only to basically fall in love with you to then need to break free from all of those structures that I build part of it is true because part of it is based on my life experience and the wisdom that I definitely embody but when I look at certain ways or mannerisms or defensiveness that really was unnecessary at, in many occasions. I feel like whatever was planted in a moment of my journey in India, which was also a very intense couple of years, five years, um, yeah, I could feel like, okay, something left my body. And if I had to make sense of it intuitively, because I asked myself that question multiple times, because I was literally in bed for a week. Like the the detox went so deep that I had all the die-off symptoms, basically, of like nausea and chronic headache and inflamed sinuses and, you know, everything came with the story. But I had to navigate it by asking myself the question, like, what is this related to? And the one prominent thing was really that almost aggressive, defensive aspect of myself that has come out, unfortunately, under pressure, stress, fatigue, overwhelm and all the changes we had to go through while moving from thailand to mexico and integrating this new archetype of being a woman uh, sorry being a mother um but yeah go on because
1: every time we've had a fight over something like this what has felt true and maybe hurtful for me is like why are you putting up walls when i'm here to support you is that Mm -hmm. is that kind of like underlying thing And, uh, I mean, it relates to the thing I really want to talk to you about, like this plight of women of like, to be independent and, and, you know, think about this a lot, given that we have a daughter for a woman to not be at the mercy or, or like ultra vulnerable, you know, taken care of, secure. She does need to develop a masculine side. She has to put a perimeter. She has to figure out how to be independent, you know, the feminist dogma, but that exact thing, those walls, which keep you safe are really not conducive for a relationship, particularly when you're the feminine in a relationship, mm. you know? And it's, uh, yeah, and I could see that in you. It's like you needed those things. Maybe you think they're, maybe they were unnecessary sometimes, but I'm just imagining a young woman traveling in India of all places, but really anywhere on her own. Of course she needs to have defenses. Mm. Otherwise she'll get taken advantage of or something. But then that's kind of what needed to be dropped for us to connect more deeply.
0: Yeah. And I do believe that in my case, I was so ready for you that life conspired for me to be in a certain surrounding. I mean, I left everything for you. So I I dropped myself into this country, this culture. I didn't even know the language or how to navigate whatever, the tiniest little details of life. I had to lean on you. And then as I was preparing to teach my course, I got pregnant and had to drop everything. So it was like over and over again, life asking me to surrender, surrender, surrender to you, you taking care you creating the foundation that I desired from a man, but with my own actions in the past have also prevented men from being able to provide when they probably wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But when I think of India, what is really interesting because it's in a way taught me energetically to create a particular, what you would probably call perimeter. Um, Like I I could strongly feel it. Like the first time I, I, I landed in Delhi was 2010 I, it didn't really matter what I wore, whether it was respectful for the culture or not. There was something about my energetic presence that made everyone feel like they had the, the uh, ability to just barge in. <laughs> I mean, I love India for everything it is. Um, people are there very unafraid to connect with you or stare at you forever <laughs> if they think you're interesting. So if they want to connect with you, they will if you don't want that, you have to train your energetic perimeter to be more strong. And I learned, I mean, I was there for five years, I learned to carry myself in a way like, respect me or piss off. That was kind of the energy, if I had to name it, that was my boy dragon. And I remember distinctly the moment I felt like, okay, something about, even though I loved India, I didn't see my future there. And it had a lot to do with that. Like, I felt very safe. I, oft, I often encountered angels, what I call angels on my path, people who wanted to help even without me asking for help. So in a way, there was also that training of like how to receive the magic of India and to surrender to these very strong lessons that many people need to go through when they're there. But the moment I felt like I need grounding, I need a home, I want a base, I went to Peru. I allowed, well, mainly my involvement in the ayahuasca world was what guided me there. But in essence, when I got there, I mean, the Peruvian culture, especially in the Andes, is is very beautiful and intimate in a different way. Like, they also want to connect, but there's more respect of each other's energies. It's, it's a softer um, culture. And yeah, the- I saw how I had to soften my energetic presence because it was almost like this defense. And when I reflect that into our relationship, it's almost like, yeah, those were the final edges of that harshness.
1: Yeah, because actually... To what you said before, uh, that air that you had of, like, respect me or piss up, I did respect that. And mm-hmm. actually, would, you know, that's like, you know, we, we connected on Instagram a long time ago at a time where I was being very, like, flirty with everyone, and I, I, I never said anything provocative. It's like, I respected yeah. you too much, and I liked that about you, but in relationship, I wanted those walls to come down.
0: Yeah, and I wanted them to come down, and it... Yeah, like I said, extreme circumstance of our surroundings and pregnancy itself. Um, I-, I needed that. I needed the, like, had we not, had I not needed to leave everything behind during the pandemic and go to the country where you were living, um, it would have probably taken us longer. So anyway, we were talking before we started recording about Keilani and, you know, imagining her life journey as, as a woman who we want her to feel free and empowered. And I want her to explore her sensuality and sexuality. Um, But also what I see around me in women and girlfriends is that there's this fine balance, like, yeah, yeah, we can step into the tantra world and explore and and do all of these things and have different partnerships. But there needs to be a, a moment where we shift focus or we, It's like, okay, I exposed myself in ways that have added to my growth and my wisdom, but how to redirect, how to use those experiences, because it's almost like we have to fall and get up again, fall and get up again, have your heart be broken, and then somehow trust in a greater love than what you've experienced. It's like freaking hard. Um, Especially as a woman, because our bodies are designed in a way that, you know, reflects who we are in our tantric nature, the way that I see it. It's like, yeah, we receive. And so our power is in receptivity. But to break down those walls, feel secure, and trust that the next man you'll attract could actually be the father of it, it's like, wow, it's a lot. So anyway, weave into this uh, regarding Kehlani and and what you were saying about how you feel what's currently happening in the world is...
1: Yeah, it's just, um you know, now it's so, I mean, it's a, so cliche for every generation to be like, oh, the kids these days, you know, I know, I realize how silly it is to just play into that, which is maybe what every parent has ever said. But, you know, I look at today, you know, even, you know, it's not even the next generation, is our generation, like OnlyFans is such a big, it's like a young, attractive woman can make so much money do, doing private porn, essentially and get so much validation and have so many attractive men contact her. just attract like validation and money and all those things. And that kind of thing, of course, is what guides our behavior when we get feedback from the outside world. Okay. This is what people like. Let me do more of it. But it is almost a totally different direction for what, what will lead to, let's say happy family life, happy committed relationship. If that's something you want, you know, saying like, uh, the type of woman who does that will get a lot of attention from men and men will want to sleep with her, but no, no men with options will want to commit to her. And I think it's a trap. It's like the other side of like what I've thought about more in terms of the male experience. The, you know, the, the generation of boys raised to be so, so heavily rewarded for being docile. And then later on find out that's not actually what women like, mm-hmm. right? So they've been kind of, they've been trained in the opposite of what they thought would get them the results they want. And I feel like there's a different version of this for women right now. Slightly you know, slightly older, but you know, young women can get so much of everything that people find useful in a society money, attention, all of that. But it's not what's gonna lead to relationship fulfillment. It's the opposite actually.
0: hmm Yeah, because my Instagram wall has basically turned to soft porn because I am connected and tapped into the You mean ta- your
1: feed, what you see. Oh
0: yeah. What did I say?
1: Your wall. It's not what you post. What you see of, oh. your, of friends' oh, acquaintances. Okay.
0: Yeah, exactly. The people I follow. <clears throat> um, and the way I see it is almost like a, a more immature expression. I don't know if that's really the right word because I don't want to like say that it's less. I feel like there is a huge value in that, um, like the phase of of experimenting. With like the power of seduction, the power of magnetism, the power of femininity, sexuality, sensuality. And so I wouldn't want to have our daughter or any woman I care for not have that experience. But it's like how to navigate in a way that still allows her to emerge from that in a true confident state where she's clear about what she wants. Because like, in my own experience, I also experimented in all kinds of ways. But I understood that even though I was successful as an entrepreneur, and I was very, very free, I mean, I, I traveled the world for over a decade. I knew ultimately, my desire was to start a family and really be in the greatest relationship I could ever imagine with my best friend, um, a beautiful, strong, masculine, powerful man, who I could fully surrender to and sacrifice everything and this is literally what happened so I knew I was capable of that sacrifice doesn't mean it was easy but I was clear in my desires I guess and clear in my intentions and the way that I approach ritual and ceremony and so I knew that that was there in my field but what I do see nowadays and I even have really good friends actually in in that realm of like okay they're growing and growing and growing in this exposure of their business as an entrepreneur and it's all very over sexualized because ultimately that is what will pump up the numbers like there is an aspect of that that will inspire women um, but when I hear your reflection it's like very interesting because yeah it will magnetize a lot but it will not magnetize the man who will want to plant his seed in your womb and and that to me is so fascinating because up until the point that where you actually said that to me I would never really seen that and I think that this is a blind spot that is present in a lot of women that is part of this shell that I talked about for myself within me needing to create that perimeter because who else was going to do it while I was traveling the world and finding pieces of myself uh but it also exhausted me honestly
1: mm-hmm. yeah it makes me think of something uh Om has said I think he ranted this on a Facebook post like to his mm-hmm. to women something like Women can sleep with as many guys as you want. But if you close your heart when you have sex, you're going to hurt. Like something, something's, it's really damaging to a woman to close her heart. And the thing is, most women, a normal woman can't have a million casual relationships with an open heart because it hurt too much. So ultimately Mm -hmm. what happens is women who have like tons of, like tons of promiscuous experiences her heart has to close just so she's not heartbroken all the time. And that is what's damaging. Mm -hmm. Like hypothetically, if a woman could keep her heart open with every casual fling, she'd be fine. But that's basically not what happens. And it makes me think of like, I've had a a lot of my, my female friends in the Tantra world or in that kind of world where I know a lot of women who've done some version of sex work, anything from stripping to like full on escorting and most women especially women who've stripped i've heard find it very empowering to be able to use their sensuality as power and like recognize like the yeah i guess the power they have over men and all yeah. that stuff the control the control yeah or yeah just like yeah empowerment is just you know i've seen a lot of women who didn't have a ton of confidence become very confident mm-hmm. through dancing because it's it is difficult but you're also very vulnerable however Basically every woman I know who's gone into escorting who've actually had sex Mm -hmm. for money, at some point it fucks them up. It's like if they're in it too long, it fucks them up because there's no way to, Is my interpretation is, and I'm not pulling this out of nowhere, like some women have said this to me. It's like, you do it long enough, it's like you have to close your heart. The feminine is not meant to have good sex with someone and have no attachment. That's like, it's it's so against the nature so something has to get fucked up inside. Whereas to so what you're saying about, I think this is maybe something that doesn't come naturally to women as a perspective, because it is a male perspective. It's like men, there's two categories of women you want to sleep with. And they're kind of mutually exclusive. The women that you want to have an experience with and t- tell your buddies when you're young, Oh, I hooked up with this porn star. this this person, this that person, this only fans girl, whatever the thing is. Yeah. yeah whomever. And she's sexy and she's out there and maybe the sex is great because she's so, so, uh, enlightened when it comes to that stuff. But you don't want to marry her. You just don't. <laughs> it's, it's a different kind of, it's like two different categories. And this is something that I think women need to be at least aware of. Obviously everyone can make their choice. Not every woman wants to have a family. Not everyone. Some, I think they're people built to just be single for their lives. And that's what's fulfilling. But being educated in the same way that young men need to be educated at being nice and docile. Is not what women want. Women, especially young, attractive women, should know that being hypersexualized is not what a man with options wants to commit to. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if I mentioned this in the beginning of this recording, of or if it was something that we talked about before we started recording. But I connected to your power, like your physical strength as a man, very early on in our relationship, and. I probably have been with very strong men who could have killed me or like who have the ability to kill me, let's put it like that. But I, it never clicked until I was with you. And I think it clicked because a part of me was feeling so safe with you that I could actually surrender to the immense power you have over me. And um, it really touches a, a very juicy place within my being. I mean, whether it's expressed within our sexuality or just our relational dynamic. I want you to make decisions. Um, but yeah, like the understanding, like, okay, you're a martial artist. You're very strong. You focus, like, you know, like you could, you could kill me. <laughs> and there's a part of my primal self as a woman who wants that. Like, I need you to be so strong that you can defend our perimeter, keep our cave safe so that i can drop all of my defense mechanisms sleep well i mean this is another thing that has really improved in our relationship my sleep which has been a lifelong journey for me um to basically feel safe to leave my body while i sleep kind of thing um and now we've really reached a certain breakthrough and i i feel like it it really comes from this um ac- acceptance and diving into this primal desire of like yeah i want to be with a really strong man and this is reflected, I mean, I think this is why martial art is so amazing as a um, discipline for men, because it allows you to really fight. And I think it's the nature for men to want to express themselves in certain ways where physical fight uh, comes out in a, in a contained, um, organized way that helps you, I don't know, deep, I mean, you can express this better, probably reflect for us, maybe. Well,
1: actually, I, I had another <laughs> thought related, I, I've been thinking about this on, so, a huge part of our relationship that I think is great and is kind of like a backbone glue is that I tease you a lot. Like we laugh a lot, mm. and like my, we even joke about how corny some of my jokes have gotten. Like I never thought I would be a dad joker, but even even before we had, we even got pregnant, I was already making kind of corny jokes with you because there's like some way that like, it's I've been tr- to me. yeah, I've been trying to analyze it in myself like. What brings it out? Like part of it is like, I know you're going to laugh. I laugh a lot. Yeah. And I know you're going (laughs) to laugh when I tease you. Like I know you're going to laugh even like not, this is not often, but if there's something I'm bothered by something you're doing and I make fun of you for it, it makes me feel good about it. And you laugh about it. So we connect about it.
0: Yeah. Cause I just want to relax and you help me relax.
1: Yeah. And you give me a lot of ammunition of stuff to tease you on like misspeaking.
0: You've you've also made my humor better.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway so I was th- I've been thinking about like what, is, like, what is it? Why are dad jokes a thing? And I'm not sure this theory is not fully formed, but I think it's, it's something about like benevolent dominance or control. It's like, like, I know when I'm making a super corny joke, how corny it is. And that's kind of the point, because I know you're going to laugh anyway. And there's something like, oh, I have this effect on you. Whereas if you really weren't in my perimeter, like let's say you lost attraction for me, you lost respect for me, you wouldn't laugh at anything. It's almost like my joke has to be bad to see if you'll laugh at my bad joke genuinely.
0: To understand how our emotional-spiritual connection is still doing.
1: Yeah, of- it's almost like, I think I think a dad joke is almost like a, a test. Like, okay, I can make the worst joke and she laughs, that means she still respects me.
0: Mm-hmm. And that the heart and the vagina are open. Yeah, because, okay, so recently I was chatting with my girlfriend. I was sending her an audio and she asked about her intimacy life because, I mean, this is interesting to know, right? Like someone who's had a baby, um, baby requires a lot of attention. How do you keep um, the intimate life juicy? So the two things I talked about were uh, tango and shibari or BDSM. And these are the two things that for me kind of fall in the same category because it's through almost like play. In a playful way, we get to express our polarizing energies. And I love being pushed into my feminine by you. And the softer I become, the stronger you become and the more attractive you are. And uh for sure, you know, there's friction and there's moments that are more challenging to really find that balance, but we always come back to it. And I do believe that tango has helped us in the past. I mean, we haven't given it enough attention. Really. We, we
1: haven't tangoed. We've tangoed yeah. once in the last year, I think. Yeah, that's true.
0: Anyway, but I love it. I mean, if we ever get like an opportunity to go to Argentina and properly learn, I would take it a hundred percent because even when I just came to Thailand, we were dancing every night, um, just based on YouTube videos and whatnot. And it's like, wow, the fine balance of what it requires for me to lean into you, but not lean too much so that we fall over, uh, but not hold back so that I'm still leading, but surrender to your guide. It's like, wow, the, the, the subtleness and the intricacy of, of those teachings are are beautiful and playful. And Shibari is the same. I mean, we played a little bit with ropes today and it's like, wow, like, that's what I want. And I think that that is, you know, whether that sexual desire is there from a woman, we want a man to take charge. We want a man to take decisions. And very often women through, having needed to be self-reliant, have all the answers, make all the decisions in their own lives, that leaks into their relationship. And honestly, I feel like, yeah, every struggle in a heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman, where the man desires to be masculine and the woman desires to be feminine, because that's not always the case, right? Nothing against other desires. But if that desire is there, I would say every issue that arises in a relationship is because the man doesn't get the space to be masculine and the woman doesn't feel safe enough to be in her feminine. And uh yeah, so I, I want you to somehow, I don't know, share an experience, say something from the masculine perspective regarding this aggression that I kind of tapped into, like, okay, you're strong enough to kill me, therefore you're strong enough to protect me, um, these darker desires from the woman. But like, what can you say from your male perspective in how this aspect of the man is... Sabotaged or held back, or where you have stumbled over.
1: Yeah, it was like you know, short of physically abducting a woman and forcing yourself onto her, there has to be consensuality, right? Like, like I can't just be masculine in a vacuum in our relationship because you need to willingly engage with me there, right? I mean, hmm. so it's like if you're not open to me taking charge and being in control. And you said something earlier like um, it taking you out of control or putting putting yeah. you beyond your comfort zone. If you're not okay with that, then I'm not really getting to, you know, you, then your your walls are up literally, like you're still trying to control and then I don't get to fully be me. Which, you know, it can bring up different things in my personal potential insecurities of not being trusted or not being competent yeah. enough or whatever. But I think that's the that's the ultimate thing. Like you were saying, the the tension between a man and a woman in relationship, it does kind of come down to both people's masculine side, like who is in charge. Right? You'll never see a relationship where both people are trying to surrender harder. <laughs> you know?
0: So interesting. Yeah.
1: I mean that just wouldn't work. Just... It just
0: wouldn't work. Fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've seen very feminine couples, and I've sometimes imagined what it would be like to be them. Like
1: uh, like where they're both really feminine?
0: Yeah. It's very hard for me to imagine. Especially as a woman, I think there would be layers of my own femininity that I simply wouldn't allow myself to go into, especially with a baby It's like, I just, I wouldn't be capable of, like, I need to know that certain things are taken care of when I check out and I do like, that's what I've seen through pregnancy. But even recently, no, I got the opportunity with this detox. I was pushed in bed, um, for a week. It's like I could enter that same space as being pregnant where I didn't have to think about time. Everything was taken care of and the dreams I had and the visions and the insights Everything was so abstract and so like altered state of consciousness. And I do believe that that is the deeper layer of femininity that is the power of a woman. And in my own pregnancy, I chose to stop working. And I wish that for every woman because I believe it's the only way we get to experience it in its full glory. I don't think there's any other state like pregnancy. I mean, I don't know. I'll have to see for the future. But to me, that was like an initiation process to, to access something that, for me, is impossible without a man. And I think that that's why we long for this. And like you say, two people long to surrender more and more and more. It just wouldn't work because then you don't have that fence that actually provides for the spaciousness to feel free, to let go. Like someone has to.
1: Someone has to know what time it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: so, what do you think about this uh imagining into fifteen years into the future, twenty years? Who knows what the world and technology will be like when uh, our daughter is of age and think being an adult to explore or develop, like what do you I guess as a woman who's had her experience what 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 would you i guess want her to know or consider?
0: Yeah, I was a very extreme teenager. Even when I was a teenager, I thought I was going to become like a high school teacher because I felt like no adult understood the complexities of the things that we need to go through. And I felt stopped by every single adult I came across. And maybe that was my journey. I had to break all the rules that were put on me. So first of all, I hope that I'm in a position where I can trust her or have at least already established a relationship with her where she can come to me if she wants to share something, as opposed to what happened to me where my first sexual experience turned into a shouting fight with my mother, which then obviously prevented me from wanting to share anything with her. Um, And I think it's going to be a very scary (laughs) uh, phase because it will have me need to disconnect from her in a certain way. And trust her in a way that I was never trusted as a teenager. So I think there's a deep, deep confrontation that is going to happen as a parent. But I will do my best to to use the wisdom that I had of being such an explorative, wild teenager that was breaking down any boundary that was put on my path. Um, so that however Kaylani wants to navigate it, she can do it and always come back to safety with us.
1: Yeah, I really feel more and more that kids grow up way too late, and like the exploring, whether it's sexually or career-wise or purpose-wise, that most nowadays go through in their twenties, were really meant to do that as teenagers, like where we're almost adults but not totally.
0: Well, if you look at then- the shamanic uh, perspective of this, this is how vision quests were initiated and things like the moon dance and the sun dance, like women started dancing the moon dance the moment they got their first cycle, which is usually around 13. And because boys, I mean, maybe the first wet dream is an indication of something is shifting, but 13 was the age that a boy would do a four day vision quest up on the mountain to almost like challenge himself and his own power and his own connection to the universe to be guided in a particular way and encounter deeper layers of his psyche. Anyway, this is like shamanic interpretation, but I do believe you're right. There's something, and we think that 12, 13 is super young, too young to whatever. But if I look at myself, I was looking for that freedom to express and expose, and I dated the bad boys, and I did graffiti, and I broke into I don't know what, and I did all of these naughty things, because some part of me wanted to explore, and sexuality was woven into that, and, you know, we've had conversations about that, that I think it's easier for girls to step into that. But really without a foundation, without a safety net, like I had to kind of do it in the dark.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a whole other thing. Like men have to earn their sexuality. Mm. But um,
0: Yeah, but you were even expressing that you had very, 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 very young, like three, four years of age uh sexual tendencies, which I think is probably present in every single boy and girl to some extent, right? Because we are sexual beings. And when that gets cut off or protected in a way that doesn't actually allow a natural exploration of it, I'm not saying that kids that young need to be naked, but at least they, sh- yeah, I don't know how to navigate. I mean, we will learn as Kelani grows and our next baby will come. We will learn because right now all of that is just conceptual. But I do wonder, because for both of us, no, like we broke into the realm of sexuality because in certain ways it was suppressed. And I think that is interesting to see that right now it seems like the world has lost its connection to cycles. What we were talking about music right in the beginning of this podcast, it's like, yeah, you had to move through the album, through all the variety of songs so that you could enjoy. The suffering of a song and the ecstasy of another song and the upbeat or the tears that it would provoke or whatever. It was a journey, like a book from beginning to end. And now we skip to the ecstasy. We often forget that confusion is part of the initiation processes in life, like adolescence, becoming parents. I mean, there's a lot of focus on motherhood, but not so much on fatherhood, which bothers me a lot because it's like, wow, you know, it's as profound for a man. And yeah. Anyway, can you say something? <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, the yeah. Well, I mean, I think teenage rebellion is just a sign that we're not really meant to be constricted in those years. I think it's a time to to explore and uh, look for things.
0: Yeah, because I went to India. The moment, I mean, I didn't even want to finish my university, but I did, just so that my parents would somehow believe I would end up okay. <laughs> but had I been able to make that decision, I would have probably quit uni and left at 19 years of age, probably to India. I was 21. I was almost 22 when I went to India. Yeah, the
1: exploring I did in my early and mid-twenties, I had the urge to do in my teens. I just didn't have the opportunity. Yeah. And, And had I, I mean, obviously this is looking back and who knows how things would have played out, but if I had that opportunity... And obviously wouldn't even work in society. You can't be sixteen and going to <laughs> orgasmic meditation or tantric events. But if I was able to experience that younger, I think it just would have shortened a lot of the questions. And I do think going to coming back to specifically for women, because I think in many ways it's more difficult, certain walls wouldn't have to have gone up. Exactly. Yeah, because in real life, you can't hit skip. That's, you know, this perspective that you brought up this morning, this idea that there are songs that are... there. There's phases in life that are unpleasant, whether it's the baby crying or maybe one day we have contention with our kids or even fighting with... Egg, all of these moments that are unpleasant. A
0: journey of depression or shattering of identity, like what we've been going through.
1: Yeah, all of this is what gives meaning I mean it's such a cliche idea but it's so true it's like it is what gives meaning to the fun songs mm. you know it is what makes it mean something as opposed to just hitting like just hitting the highlights over and over again they don't yeah. really have context they don't really have meaning it's like okay for, you could play your favorite song you play the, the chorus of the song on loop but then what what does it mean? Right. You're just like smashing the dopamine button as opposed to having gone through a journey where now it brings tears to your eyes.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I've had various moments in our journey so far where I was very confronted by my heart opening. So, again, that sounds like something cliche, you know, like you have to keep falling in love over and over again, especially in a long term relationship um, or like with our own daughter. You no, know? it's like, oh, my God, like the way. I love is incredible and incredibly scary. And I do believe that, you know, there's these moments of resistance, not to keep freaking hitting my toe against the same rock, um, but to recognize the pattern when it's happening and to also make a decision like, okay, no need to play that game anymore. No need to play out that pattern anymore. No need to step into defense, even though it was, um, it's something that served me in the past but to just not drag it into our relationship anymore and I had to go through certain experiences of discomfort of shutting down when I really didn't want to uh, to emerge from that recognizing aspects of my feminine and how I love myself more it's interesting because right after birth, I had a phase. I mean, I went through a little bit of postpartum depression, uh, which is, you know, a phase where there's really, really, really high highs and really, really, really low lows. And um, I didn't like parts of myself that I didn't, I couldn't even access before giving birth, but I literally did not like myself. And it forced me to let go of that. But there was an attachment to that, is It's like weird. Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling into some kind of direction.
1: Yeah, so don't skip the songs you don't (laughs) like is the
0: point. Yeah, because where I am now, I get to value the struggle because of the reward I've received through life, through our love, through the confrontation of confronting love and the fragility, yet the power we get to experience when we really open up in that way.
1: Yeah. And And those
0: are the cycles of life.
1: Yeah, and the difficult moments make everything else worth it. Mm -hmm. Put that on a Hallmark card.
0: Yeah. Goodbye. Hey, thanks for tuning in. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, before you go, I have a quick announcement to make. This year, I'll be teaching Dare to Love again. So if you are fed up dating the wrong guys and you want to attract your soulmate, go to nalayachakana.com and check out the Dare to Love course. This will be the only opportunity to work with me before our next pregnancy. So knock on my door if you have any questions. I'd love to hear from you.